Well, amen. Good to be together, isn't it? Let's just uh, pray this hurricane away, right? We can get a little rain. That's fine. We need some rain. We don't need a hurricane, though. So we just thank you, God, that this hurricane's going to pass by in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, amen. It's good to be together. I have the word of the Lord today from um, 1 Kings. We've been going through 1 Kings and going through the story of Elijah, and I believe that the Lord has uh, something special for us today, and if you're listening on the podcast, something has some, God has something there for you today. Uh, so I want to get right into his word, and we've been studying the life of Elijah out of 1 Kings, that is 17, 18, and 19 last week, and um, I springboarded this uh, this is part six of this series, and I springboarded it uh, from uh, the verse in James. It says, Elijah was a human, right? Or he had a nature like ours, depending on your translation, right? He's in James chapter five. He was a human being. He had a nature like ours. And yet the Bible says when he prayed for it not to rain, it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then when he prayed again, it rained. And so the Bible says that a fervent, right, the fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman, right, it avails much. Things happen when we pray, and it happens when we really, the, the key in that verse also is the righteous person. We are not righteous by our own doing, our own strength, but when we align ourselves with Christ, we let him do a work in us. We let him make us righteous. We put our will aside, and his will becomes our will, and we begin to pray some things happen. Amen. You need to believe that today. In fact, now that it's part six, uh, you know, it's been so many weeks, and, and especially because two of those weeks, two of the weeks uh, for the last series, um, I didn't speak, so actually it's been like eight weeks. So I said to God this morning, I said, Lord, don't let me... Uh, I'm going to bring today's word, and I believe that today's word is going to be for this moment, and that's that, okay? So don't have any doubts about what I have here to preach. But I said to God something. Uh, I said, Lord, you brought Elijah. Like, it became so clear, right? We were all hearing Elijah. Everybody was hearing it, Elijah, Elijah, Elijah. It was like all around us. And I said, okay, God, it was very clear that you wanted us to look into his life and to have faith like his, but also not just faith, but to understand that humanity that he experienced, that he was a human being still, but he was a human being that trusted God, right? And so, but this morning I was just asking God, I said, Lord, uh, don't let me lose focus and forget, though, that you really told us to slow down and stop and ponder about Elijah, to really look into his life, to understand who he was and what he did in the earth. Obviously, everything in our Bible is old. Everybody say the Bible's old. <laughs> but, and yet, it's timeless. Everybody say the Bible is timeless, right? So everything we read, whether it's a direct verse to us, like a directive to the churches, or it's a story Every single verse in that book uh, is, uh, was like, it actually happened, it was actually spoken, it was a letter to this person, it was a, a story that someone lived, and yet simultaneously, the entire thing is a picture for the life that we can and should live, amen. So we can look at his story, and we can say, okay, God, 
He trusted you. I can trust you. That's why James goes back in time, and he looks back a thousand years at Elijah when, when he's writing the book of James. And now we're looking back 2,000 years at James and saying, okay, James, I'm going to grab hold of that faith that you were looking back at Elijah, right? You see, you see how it's timeless. Amen. And so God is uh, bringing this 3,000-ish year old story uh, to the forefront right at this moment and making it fresh. And what I want to be careful not to do is preach for six weeks and then just move on, right? Who's ever been there where like God's speaking something to you and you, you deal with it. You're like, yes, Lord. And then you're like, wait a second. What was, I don't even know what this was all about anymore, right? So I just, uh, I just wanted to say that because I actually want to, I want to preach today, but I want us just to seek the Lord, um, what I feel like to say, this is not the sermon, but I feel like to say is that we need to seek God. I believe that this hour is significant in time. Who believes that? Who believes that 2020 and 2021 has been a significant time in history? And I believe that this hour right now is significant. And we will preach another sermon and we will get into another series, but we don't want to lose what God is speaking right now and just move on. Amen. So I just want to capture that. I really feel like it's a serious moment, and I believe the Holy Spirit will speak that into our hearts today. Amen. So, all right, so Elijah, we know the story. He prays, it doesn't rain, he prays it rains, okay? And we've been going over this each week. Now, uh, he was a man, and yet God taught him to what? Rely on God and to represent God. Everybody say, rely on God to represent God. You can't represent God if you haven't learned to rely on God. Amen. So he was both. Some people think they're representing God, but they don't rely on God. They're just representing themselves. Uh, God never failed him, and then ultimately God used him mightily. But, everybody say but. In 1 Kings 19, uh, Elijah becomes frustrated. He becomes discouraged. Now, he had just dealt with this demon god, Baal, all right? And uh, Jezebel had brought him into Israel, and they had worshipped him as if he was God, and he had all these prophets that surrounded him. So, you know, the people of Israel are just sheep, just like people are always, right? Throughout history, people are followers, people are sheep. Most people don't know why they are following a particular teaching. They don't even know why they're following a crowd, right? A crowd starts moving, people move with the crowd. That's just human nature. And so God's heart for the sheep um, was tender, and so he had to deal with what was pulling them astray, and he uses Elijah to do it mightily. So Elijah does it faithfully. Elijah doesn't quit. He sticks with God. He actually goes really risking his life. He, he knew that this could be a death sentence going up there and challenging. It doesn't mean that he didn't trust God. He just know, he, he knew that it was, it, the potential was this could cost him his life because that's what happened to prophets. He knew the history. We know the history. Prophets that spoke against the words of the kings of the day or of the people, they usually got killed all the way up until Jesus. He was, uh, he was the son of God, but he also was prophetic. He was a prophet as well. He wasn't just a prophet like, you know, the Quran makes him, but he's the son of God, but he was also the final prophet uh, from the transition from Old Testament to New Testament. So, and they killed him too. 
And that's what Jesus says in the analogy. That he said, okay, I'll send all these people. They're going to, you know, okay, maybe they'll listen, they'll listen, they'll listen. Remember the New Testament story? And then, he's, then God says, I'll send my son. That'll do it. And they kill him as well. So Elijah does it. He doesn't fail. He trusts God. And then Jezebel says, uh, I'm going to kill you for what you did. I'm coming after you. And suddenly, Elijah, this man of God who has trusted God, been sustained by God, literally saw miracle after miracle after miracle, was suddenly discouraged and frustrated, right? We, this was last week's sermon, if you want to go back and listen to the podcast. So it says, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3, Elijah was afraid, and he fled for his life. And the Bible says that he runs for a while, but then he lays down wishing to die because he felt like, everybody say he felt like, he felt like, and that's the flaw, it's because he felt like his life was worthless. Now, it was a lie. Everybody say it was a lie. A lie. Now, the Bible doesn't mention Satan here once, but don't think that Satan didn't orchestrate these thoughts. Right? And we don't even need Satan. Who knows? You can be your own worst enemy. You know, your own mind battles with God without Satan too, right? So it doesn't, we don't need Satan to do this job for us. Uh, we grab a hold of lies at times, and they actually take root in our heart suddenly. Just It grabs a hold of our mind, and we need a move of God. We need the Spirit of the Lord to change it. That's ultimately what I'm going to talk about today. The only way to really deal with the lies of the enemy, with the lies in your own mind, is with a word from God. You need a revelation from God. That's it. Sometimes people are praying and they're believing for loved ones, and I'm, I tell them, I'm not telling you not to speak the truth to them, right? Because the Bible says, how will they know if they haven't heard it? But what they need not, is not just your words. They need a revelation from the Holy Spirit. They need those words to just get from here down into here. Who had that experience, right? Who has the experience of actually when it went from your head to your heart? That's the revelation moment. That's the moment when the words that were the same words before and they were after, but suddenly they became a revelation in your heart and you said, wow, I believe this. I don't just believe the theory of it. I'm willing to die for it. That's how much I believe it. And so a lie had entered his heart and the Bible says that he says in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4, 1 Kings 19, verse 4 says, Take my life. <laughs> he says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Who told him that? Who said that Elijah was no better than his ancestors. Now, last week, we really focused on the discouragement part, and we get down, and sometimes you don't know why. We need the Lord to come and pick us up. I'm going to touch on that as a reminder again right now. But what I really want to talk about today is who told him this lie? Who said that Elijah was no better than his ancestors? The answer is rhetorical, that no one told him that, this thought came into his own mind, again, by his own inspiration or by Satan. Nobody said you are just like your ancestors or no better than your ancestors. He decided to make this conclusion based on the results that he had just seen, and more importantly, the results he had hoped to see and didn't. Sometimes when we have so much hope, 
Hope deferred makes the heart sick, right? He had maybe hoped that finally, if God moves in a powerful way, this nation will turn. Jezebel will even bow her knee. And it didn't happen. He's discouraged. He's frustrated. Thinks, you know, my, what am I doing? Who's ever actually done this with the Lord? Especially serving God. Who's ever thought, I'm, what is my life? It's worthless. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. God, I've done nothing for you. What a lie. What a lie from Satan. First of all, that you are worthless. That's the first one. And secondly, that you have done nothing. You have no idea what you have done in your life. You know, I believe that God's actually going to judge us much more based on the little things than on the big things. You know, just even holding the door open for somebody and saying, thank you, have a great day. I'm talking little, I'm going to call them stupid. I don't think they're stupid, but they would be called stupid things, little stupid things like that. They're not stupid to God, though, right? But we would put that in that category. All those things, you have no idea if that was the spark that encouraged that person that day. And so to think that my life is worthless, I've done nothing for God, and isn't it funny that we forget? We forget. Worthless, you literally sustained <laughs> this nation. I mean, literally... Uh, this guy, this one man, stood in the gap for an entire nation and pleaded with God for his mercy. Remember, we, we looked at it a couple of weeks ago. When it rained again, it was actually the symbol of God's blessing. Rain in, in the Bible equals blessing. Lack of rain equals cursing. You can go to your own study. He literally got in between God and the people and pleaded with God God wanted to do it anyway. That was the promise that God was about to release, and he, he pleaded for it, brought that blessing down to the earth, literally brought it down to the earth, a symbol of rain coming from heaven to the earth, and deals with, with Baal, and now he says, I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. What a lie from the enemy, and what a lie in his own mind. I read a commentary. I thought this was funny. You ready for this? It said, thankfully, this was a prayer not answered for Elijah. This is very interesting. I, I was like blown away. This is like, I had a little mini revelation reading this commentary because it said, this commentary says, in fact, Elijah was one of the few men in the Bible to never die. Actually, only one of two that I can think of. He says few, but I'm not arguing with your commentary. It says, we can imagine that as he was caught up into heaven, he smiled and thought of this prayer and, and the blessed, uh, and he was blessed that God did not answer his prayer. And he says, to receive an, uh, no answer from God can be better than receiving a yes answer. Isn't it funny sometimes that we argue with God, God, why haven't you answered my prayer? What a picture, really, of the power of a if there was anybody in the Bible that knew how to pray, it was Elijah. And James testifies about him a thousand years later that this guy, man, if the type of prayer you need is Elijah prayer. And yet there was a time, wow, this will mess with uh, the uh, faith crowd, that just because you pray it and it doesn't happen doesn't mean you don't have faith, doesn't mean that God didn't hear you. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care. Wow, sometimes God is sovereign. Wow, that's a revelation. Good thing that God is sovereign and that everything we pray doesn't happen. Amen. 
It's a good thing that God is saying, I like that prayer. That's a good prayer. That's coming from your heart. Let's deal with that in the earth. Yes, let's deal with that in this situation. And sometimes he says, not right now or not ever. I don't like that prayer right now. You're in a bad place. You don't know it. Your heart's not right. You don't even know it. Wow, amen. I was like, I read that commentary and I thought, wow, that's interesting. Here's a man who knew how to pray, and he prays, God, uh, just take me now. You know, he's pleading before God. God doesn't answer. And in fact, not only does he not answer, he's only the second person that I read about in my Bible. I guess Jesus, you know, technically is taken up to heaven similar way. You can include him as the third person. But uh, he's the only person that, um, besides Enoch, Old Testament, that doesn't die. How ironic. Literally, God's like, I'm not going to answer your prayer. In fact, I'm going to double down. <laughs> I'm going to completely do the opposite of your prayer. You're never going to die. So uh, we studied last night that what happens. He prays his prayer, but something supernatural happens. Um, an angel comes and actually feeds him personally. And we just talked last week that most likely it's not just an angel, but it's actually called, the title is the angel of the Lord. Most likely, based on the rest of the Bible, the rest of the Old Testament, this was Jesus himself, Old Testament, meaning the title, angel of the Lord, who actually came in personally, Elijah, you're down, and, and, and saw he was down and picked him up personally. And then he he falls again. He feeds him a second time. We, we said last week that's a second touch for his second wind, right? So Jesus um, will meet us in the same way. When we are that discouraged and that frustrated, Jesus is right there with us. We are not alone. Another lie from the enemy that is subtle, it's not written here, is that, and it will be, though, in a moment, is that we are alone. He actually does vent about that in a moment. We're going to talk about that. But right here, that's another lie that had gotten into his heart without words yet that he was alone, right? And that's a lie. Everybody say that's a lie from Satan, that we are alone. Even when you're all alone, you're never alone. <laughs> Amen. So it says in 1 Kings 19, verse 7 through 8, the angel of the Lord comes, and uh, he uh, says to him, he says, get up and eat some more, or the journey, everybody say the journey. Well, I don't always have you guys say throughout the, every sermon. I do make you guys repeat, but not always this much. That's just, I don't even think about it, so it's the Holy Spirit, okay? Not everybody has, nobody has to do that, and I don't have to do it to preach to you, but I'm just like doing it, so I think that's the Holy Spirit getting us engaged today. There's a journey ahead of us. Everybody say, there's a journey ahead. You know that God knows your journey ahead more than you know your journey ahead. Sometimes we wish God wouldn't tell us there's a journey ahead, because what do we think? We're like, well, I know your Bible. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me there's a journey ahead, because <laughs> I know what that means. But he says, I'm going to give you what you need so that it won't be too much for you. You'll be able to get through the journey, amen. There's a journey, but I've got what you need to get through it. Wow, aren't we encouraged by God's word? It says, so he got up, and he ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel. Now, this is very significant. Who reads your Bible like I do and notices, we call them types and shadows. That's how everything in the Bible ties to itself. Has anybody ever noticed that from the beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, that there's so many things that 
crisscross and tie. It's why it's one of the proofs that it wasn't written by men. It's just way too intricate. There's no way that all these authors could tie all these things together. Now, here's the key, 40 days and 40 nights. Anybody ever heard of anything else in the Bible that has to do with 40 days and 40 nights? You could probably instantly think of about a dozen things, right? This is a very significant point. So the Bible says he eats and he drinks, and it gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And what I want to talk about now is that the Bible says, going back in verse 4, he's already, this entire encounter, and what's happening now, and this is where we're going to move forward today, all of this is happening, 1 Kings 19 verse 4 says, he went alone into the wilderness. Everybody say, the wilderness. Who likes the wilderness? Who's ever been taught about the wilderness? <laughs> yes, yeah, Steve raised his hand because you're thinking of the wilderness like I think of it as, I love the wilderness, right? I love that wilderness. It's pretty. It's beautiful. It's free. It's wild. And you know what else it is? Deadly, harsh, right? Right? How many people, they go out in the wilderness? I heard a very, very sad story. I bought a camper from the lady. Her husband was an Eagle Scout. That's the highest. It's actually very similar training to, like, just below Navy SEALs, believe it or not, for these, like, young kids. Um, and uh, he went up hiking the Adirondacks, and they didn't realize, but uh, every once in a while, um, we can have rain here, and they can get, like, a snowstorm out of nowhere, even in the Adirondacks. You don't think about it right there because they were way up. Um, it surprised them. They weren't ready. And uh, what happened is, is he was diabetic, and uh, the snow comes in. It was such a blizzard that they, they can't get down the mountain. So they decide they got to hunker down. But he's thinking, I'm not going to make it because um, they were just taking a short day hike. He had left his emergency diabetic stuff in the truck. And anyway... He goes and says, I'm going to go to the truck. I'm going to go get it. It was such a whiteout. He couldn't find the trail, and he died. Very, very sad. But that's the wilderness. That is the wilderness. It's incredibly beautiful. It's free. You can, that's where you can hear God. You can find God out there. But it's also a harsh place, isn't it? But when God says uh, that there's a wilderness time, or you're going to be in the wilderness as in the spirit, the spiritual part of us, we actually, we should be simultaneously looking forward to what God's about to do in us because we know there's a good thing that's about to happen there, but also it's a harsh thing for our flesh, isn't it? The Bible says in verse 4 that he goes into the wilderness. So what is the wilderness? I wanted to talk about that for a little while because it's a place, I want to say this, the wilderness is a place that everyone, everyone I want you, everyone to say Everyone. If you want to follow God, and if God puts his call in your heart, it is a place that everyone, not, okay, I'll say it again because I don't think you believe me. Everyone who has a call of God wants to follow God. You will end up at some point in your Christian life in the wilderness. You might be in it right now. You might be heading towards it. You may have gone through a wilderness in your life. Just a few names that you'll know. And you've read, you've read the stories. Abraham, right, gets called out of the place he knew to the place he didn't know. He's out there just trusting God. 
When we read the story, like I say many times, we just flip the page, right? We just flip right to the promise. Just turn the page 20 years, 30 years. <laughs> We're just turning pages in the Bible. Meanwhile, go back in your life 20 years ago, and you're like, whoa, thank you, God, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord God, for your grace. And we're just like, oh, he's in the wilderness. He's got his promise now, though. Abraham, Moses, David, all the prophets, including Elijah, John the Baptist, even Paul the Apostle, New Testament, goes out in the wilderness. That's the place, really, where God's revelations come into his heart. The Israelites on their way to the promised land, specifically, right? They have to go through the wilderness, and it takes them, what? 40 years. Again, another picture, another type in shadow. Didn't need to take that long. It can take you 40 days, or it can take you 40 years. Even Jesus, the Son of God, when he transitioned from being Jesus, the Son of... Wow, this is, this is a revelation, ready? Every one of us, you know, Jesus is the son of God, but he's also the way. Everybody say the way. We don't see a lot of people just think that Jesus is just a ticket to heaven. And that's where salvation's kind of gotten twisted and messed up. Jesus is also my path. He's a way. Jesus said, I'm, I, it's not a, about your salvation. I will secure that in heaven. You can't earn that. But follow me. In other words, not just like listen to the teachings that are convenient, but follow my life. And so even Jesus, the Son of God, transitioned. We were all born a son or daughter of parents into cultures, into a community, into good or bad situations, etc. And we, every single one of us, when we became believers, had to kind of break away from those things and become sons and daughters of God doesn't mean that you hate your family and hate your lineage, but you have to kind of break away from those things and cleave to him. And so even Jesus, the Son of God, when he transitioned from being the son, right, of Mary into being Jesus, the Son of God. Now, he always was, but on the earth, right? Just think of the picture of on the earth and his ministry. Jesus did not begin his ministry without going through the wilderness, and there, the Bible says, just like we looked at last week at the end, he deals with Satan there, and the angels come and minister to him. Now, I was looking at this story because when we read the Bible again, just like I said a moment ago, we just turn a page. You know, you could do the same thing with a verse. The Bible says, he ate and he drank and he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights, verse 8, and then you can easily just go to verse 9. You don't realize how much is in verse 8, that he's traveling for 40 days and 40 nights. There's a very significant moment here, and the Bible does not put down text for no reason. There's actually no verses in there just, for, just because. They're all there for a reason. And I was reading how some scholars, depending on how fast he traveled, what mode he traveled, Elijah should have gotten to, because like, we know where he was, because the Bible tells us where he was, and the Bible tells us where he's going. It's not too hard to oh, get out a map and kind of figure out how fast we want to travel, go slow or fast. They say it should have taken, on average, eight days. And yet the Bible says it took 40. 40 days and 40 nights. So the Bible also says 
that it took, as I mentioned a moment ago, 40 years to get from Egypt to the promised land. Just because it took that long doesn't mean that's how long it needed to take. Wow. There's a revelation. In fact, we know. Who's ever heard it? Come on, I've heard it my whole life. It's about an 11-day journey from Egypt to the promised land. We don't even have to wonder why that happened. doesn't need to take 40, but we know why it took longer. What does the Bible say? It actually answers it for us, so there's actually no wondering. The Bible says that God said, if you just go straight there, and you don't have to learn to trust me in a process. I'm paraphrasing, right? But the Bible tells us directly, it was so that they would learn to trust in him, rely on him, and not just that, like, I can deliver you, but now you're going to trust me in your deliverance. You're going to walk it out, right? So we all trust God at the cross. We come to the cross. We say, Lord, I trust you with my life. We get down on our knees. We weep. Oh, Lord, God, forgive me. Come into my life. I want your salvation. And then, you know, uh, to prevent us from just like running to some finish line that we think is out there, just doing our own thing, we uh, instead go through a time where God teaches us to live out what we promised to him at that altar. Does that make sense? Who's ever lived that? Who had to live that? Every one of us, right? Amen. And who is so thankful for that time in your life? Because, you know, Paul testifies, he says, you know, it got harder and harder, but I realized that that's where I found the real love of Christ. I mean, the craving inside me was met. I can't even describe it. It's better than any drug on this earth. I'm, t I'm get taking a little poetic license here, but he says, if I have to go through that to get the relationship that I have with Christ, then so be it, because it's worth it. Because they're in that place. They're in that wilderness. We, relearn, we learn to rely on God, and isn't it special when God comes and meets us and speaks to us and gives us what we need himself. Amen. So the Bible doesn't say directly why it took 40 days, but the 40 days is significant because of all these other symbols. Jesus had to go through the 40 days. Even Moses, besides going through the wilderness to run from Egypt, he goes up on the mountain for 40 days. If you do your own study, what you will find is that this 40-day wilderness is a symbol. Everybody say it's a symbol, right? The Bible is a book of symbols. It's, there's words that are direct. Don't do this, <laughs> right? It's funny when people turn those into symbols, but then they don't see the symbols. They're like, oh, that's just metaphors. But then the things that are metaphors, they have just goes right over their head. They don't see those. Or everybody wants to make the whole Bible a metaphor. That's not true. It's very direct in some places, but in other places, in, if you do your study, I, I can summarize the wilderness in one phrase, dealing with our flesh. Everybody say, dealing with our flesh. Even Jesus himself, that's where Satan came to get him. He said he was hungry, right? That's flesh. He said, I'll give you glory. Who wants glory? Do you think your spirit man cares about earthly glory? Of course not. You're a human man, right? I'll give you glory. I'll give you honor. We'll do something miraculous. We'll watch the angels raise you up as you jump off this cliff so you can show everybody who you are, right? That's, it's all earthly. It's fleshy. And Jesus didn't give in. Uh, we think of this. We think of sin as a resistance against God. It's a, we think of sin as a separation 
between us and God. And we know as Christians that Jesus dealt with that sin on the cross. Amen. And we're so incredibly thankful for his blood and for his purchasing price for us. But less talked about in Christianity is our flesh. We talk about sins and we like to make them as lists. Right? Who's ever listed your sins? And you're like, you're like, Lord, am I okay right now? And you kind of go through your mind. Am I all right right now? And you go through lists in your mind. I'm like, I'm not doing this, this, and that. I think we're okay. Who's ever done that? Who would be honest to say you've done that? <laughs> but less talked about in Christianity is this deeper level. It doesn't, it's not heaven and hell. It's not a salvation thing. This is Our flesh is a much deeper level, and really, we could call that our will, right? That is something within you that wants to do what it wants to do, when it wants to do it, and how it wants to do it. Anybody in here like that? (laughs) Nobody, right? Nobody cares, like, you know, like, I could feed you a food that you don't like. Nobody cares, right? Put you in clothes you don't like. Why do you care? Make you go to sleep when you don't like to go to sleep and make you stay up when you don't want to stay up. But no one cares because no one has a way, right? We're all just very free. Nobody's fixed, right? And, it's be, and it's so that we, we have this deeper level actually to us that's beyond the list of sin. And it's really our, this will within us. It's our flesh. The wilderness is uncomfortable And what it challenges us is in our flesh. The place where we're most challenged when we're trusting God is when the people we love, the things that make us comfortable, the things that make us happy, the things that make us peaceful, when those things seem to be stripped away, that's the most that we are challenged in God, isn't it? But I'll tell you what, we all must go through that place. All believers that confess allegiance to God must go through that place, but, but I'll tell you that there is something that's special that begins to happen. When you sacrifice that flesh before the Lord and you deal with God, I mean, on a deep, you did it because that's the level you knew how to do it at the altar. You know, Lord, come into my life. But you didn't even know what that meant. Who knew what that meant when you made that commitment? Anybody knew where that would take you in your life? Sometimes I think we should give a disclosure, right? Listen, it's not going to be easy. It's not a McDonald's Happy Meal. It doesn't come in a box. But it truly is the only way. It's the best way, and it's the only way. When our flesh is in control and our thoughts and our emotions and our decisions are challenged, when all that's challenged... And our walk feels like wandering, even aimless sometimes. See, what most scholars think is that Elijah actually wandered. He wandered like we all do. He, didn't, he had already told God, I want to die. God already knew how long it was going to take him. So what's incredible about this story, why I love it so much, is Jesus knew how long it was going to take him to get to that place. You know, Jesus is okay with your wandering. He's not okay with you going and becoming a sinner, but there's another level, there's a deeper level of our flesh that's beyond the list of sin, like I said, where it's actually breaking our will, breaking our way. And, what, and the real challenge here, the only reason Elijah is so challenged is because he didn't see the results he thought he should have seen. He thinks that's it, 
and 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 I've done what I was supposed to do, and and God, you didn't come through in the way that I thought you you would, and so he's just he's literally wandering. Really, he didn't have to wander in in the wilderness. He's just wandering in his heart. He still trusts in God, but he just doesn't he doesn't know what to think right now, and that's okay because Jesus is right there with him. He's not alone. Amen. All the comforts we crave, the acceptance, the peace, it all seems to be out of whack or missing. But there in that place, this is what happens. You just keep going. Who's ever been in that place with God? Where you say, I don't know what else to do, but I'm just going to keep trusting in you. Right? David was pushed out into the wilderness. He did nothing to deserve it. Saul was an evil king, and he sought to kill David. David had no choice. But in his wandering, he also had no choice but to trust in God. So much that he said these famous words in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which means he walked in it. He's not saying if I walk in it. He was walking in it. We know his story. I won't fear. I will fear no evil, right? For you are with me, your, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Or what about Job's famous words? Job said, though he slay me, New King James Version, yet I will trust him. Amen. Isn't that incredible? Imagine saying those words to God. Who has ever said words in your own words? Actually, the NLT says this, I have no other hope. I love that. I just, I read that and I was just like, wow, Lord. It's so good hearing your word. The Bible says that, you know what it says about his own word? It says they're honey, right, to our lips. His word is literally, it's water when you're thirsty. It's food when you're hungry. There is a satisfaction in your soul from his word. And I just read those words, and I'm satisfied. I know what he went through. I can, I can understand what these guys were going through, and I can actually see God's faithfulness in their lives and then apply it to my own life. The next thing to note, which is very important, is that God, as I've mentioned now today many times, that God gave him enough strength. You know, God knows what you're going through. Sometimes we think that God doesn't even know what I'm going through. (laughs) God doesn't even understand. That's how we feel like he's far away. You know, that's a lie from the enemy. I'm dealing with lies today. Anybody notice I'm dealing with lies? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, who knows this verse? No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And for sake of time, I was going to deal with that, but I probably won't get to it. So I'll say it now. You are not alone. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. You are not alone. What you are going through, someone else is going through right now. The enemy tries to make it feel you feel like you're the only one that's ever faced this. No one understands you. No one gets you. You think nobody, I can't even talk to anyone because they don't get me. And people are saying, I understand. And you're thinking, no, they don't. And the Bible says what you're going through is common. But, or and here, and God is faithful. Everybody say he's faithful. If you're going through what you're going through, God's aware. And the Bible says He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. That means that if it's a wilderness, if you're going to, Jesus says, before time, he looks at Elijah. He's like, he needs to eat again. I'm going to feed you again. You don't know it yet. 
I'd like this only to take eight days for you, but I understand that you're a human and I love you so much. It's going to take you about 40 to get where I need you to get to. It's going to take you a little bit longer than it should. And that's okay, because I'm going to give you what you need to get there. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible when you look at the story that God knew how long he would wander before he wandered and met him. He didn't just, Elijah didn't cry out midway and say, God, it's taking me longer than I expected. I need another dose. God did it beforehand. I think that's incredible because now fast forward, New Testament, a thousand years later, here's the type and shadow. Here's proof that what was happening there is the same God that was yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. It says, when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. I will meet you where you're at, whatever low, whatever high, you are not alone. I'm with you. If the lies get in, if your heart is wandering, wherever you're at, I'm with you, and I'm going to get you to the end. Amen. Now, for sake of time, I'd like to look at how God meets with him maybe at a, another time, whether it's next week or another time. I don't know. But just quickly, what happens? The Bible says, finally, in verse 9, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9, he gets to this cave, right? He spends the night there. God's like, what are you doing here? And there's all kinds of, you know, teachings on what was going on here, whether even God, that wasn't a place that he even supposed to be in or that God's just challenging him. We don't, you know, not quite know what's happening here. <laughs> Elijah replies in verse 10, he says, Lord, I've served you zealously. But the people of Israel, they've broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and they've killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. Wow. Who's ever cried out to God like this? You could easily in this nation right now cry out to God just like this. God, nobody cares about you. Everywhere I look, they hate you. I'm the only one, it seems like, that even cares about you anymore. Will anybody just want, does anybody want God? Nobody wants to seek God. Nobody will fast for their children. Nobody seems to care. They pray once, they stop praying. They read, they don't care. They come to church, they never come back. We could be so frustrated just like he was. And just like, Lord, just take me home. I don't even want to be here. Anybody ever vented to God like that? And that's what he's doing right here. And the Bible says, he says, now go out and stand before the mountain. I don't want to focus on how God comes right at this moment, but we know the story, right? The wind comes and there's an earthquake. But finally, come on, who loves it? Just for time. Finally, it says that he heard a whisper. Everybody knows it or the still, small voice. God had sustained Elijah from word to word. Everybody say, he, susta he sustains us. Try to say that, actually. <laughs> he sustains us from word to word. He sustains you from word to word. See, we get weird. People don't want to think like this because, you know, God's word is just in his Bible. Yes, I believe that. That's his word. But God speaks to us. You know that. Who's ever had God speak to you? You know, like, people don't want to admit that. That's weird. God doesn't speak like that. That's just craziness, man. If God's not speaking anymore, then what God is he? He spoke through his entire Bible. Suddenly, he doesn't speak anymore? I understand the danger, because then we can hear anything we want, right? I understand. That's why we have counsel. That's why we get to gather together. That's why we have a church that you're not alone. You can bounce things off. You say, hey, God told me to go murder this person. Probably not God. Okay. <laughs> God told me to leave this church. You're talking to your pastor. Probably not God. Might be. 
right? That's why. So, but people are afraid. But the thing is, God speaks to us. It may have been a verse. It may have been a sermon. And God gives you a word, right? And you get locked in. And you're like, okay, I'm ready for this season. And sometimes we're restless looking for a new word. And you know what we need to do is learn to just embrace God with the word he's given us for the season that we're in, which is might just be just trust me through this. Just trust me right now. I'm going to sustain you through this season. It might be another season where I'm going to bless you in this time, and we love those seasons, but it might not be the one you're in right now. And You need to just learn to just take that word and run with it and just stay, keep trusting him with what he told you last until he speaks to you again. Amen? And wow, you could, I could really spend time on that if I had more time on that. But the Bible says that God came and he gave him a whisper and the Bible says in verse 13, when Elijah heard it, wow, who's heard God speak and you've done the same thing. He wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave and the voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, Lord, and he vents to God again, I've done all these things and I'm the only one left. And God uh, I want to just deal with it next week, but God says to him, I'm just going to paraphrase. He says, Elijah, you're not alone. <laughs> you're not alone. I still have a plan. I want to look into it just for time. Okay, guys, that okay? I don't want to rush it because I believe that God's actually got a whole bunch of promises that he gives him. But I'll just paraphrase. He says, you're not alone, actually. That's a lie. I don't know where that lie came from, Elijah, but I don't know, I don't know where you heard that or why you think that because you're not alone. And... By the way, I am going to deal with Jezebel in my time, in my way. By the way, I'm God. Oh, wow. Whoops. And by the way, I actually have a plan. You haven't wasted it. We're going to pass your spirit on. It hasn't been wasted. It's actually been something you've paved a way. You don't even realize the way that you've paved. In fact, we're going to talk about you, Elijah, for 3,000 years from now. You don't know that yet. Wow, who's encouraged? Right? And so the Lord speaks to him, sustains him, and gives him a brand new. I want to say it this way. I just say it the, Lord, the way the Lord said to me, and I'm not going to mess it up. It's actually not a new mission. He's actually just giving you a fresh outlook on the same mission it's always been. But we got so clouded with discouragement, distractions, or just the weight of this life. And God is going to take those weights off and refresh us and supercharge us, encourage us. To, it says, we're going to read it next week, but he tells them, go back the way you came. I want you to, it's not even like, all right, you know, we're going to deal with this. We're going to do something different in your life. I want you to go back to the same place. You had to come here because you needed a recharge, and that's okay. Well, I want you to go back to where you were, and we're going to deal with some things. We're going to finish what I was working on over there. Amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he? And God is, his word is so powerful. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for the power of your word. I pray that these words, Lord, they sink in much deeper than, my, than the sound of my voice, Lord God. I pray that your spirit within these words today, God, would sink down like good seed, Lord, into good soil today, and they would produce a harvest in our hearts in the name of Jesus.